Part two of the characters of Theophrastus by Theophrastus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two. Eleven. The superstitious man. Superstition is a crouching fear of unseen powers. The superstitious man is the sort of person who begins the day only after he has sprinkled himself, washed his hands with holy water, and taken a sprig of laurel in his mouth. If a weasel cross his path, he will not go a step further until someone else has crossed, or until he has thrown three stones over the way. If he sees a snake in his house, he prays to Sebasius, provided it is a copperhead, or if it be a sacred serpent, he straightway builds a shrine upon the spot. As he passes by the consecrated stones at the crossroads, he pours oil on them from his flask, falls on his knees, and prays before he goes further. If a mouse should gnaw through a leather flower-bag, he goes to the seer and asks what he shall do. If the seer bids him give the bag to the cobbler to be sewn up, he pays no heed to him, but goes his way and offers up the bag as a holy sacrifice. He is given to purifying his house often, by religious rites, and insists it is haunted by Hecate. When he takes a walk and hears an owl hoot, he is terrified and cries out, Athena, thine is the power, and so walks on. He will not step on a grave, nor go up to a corpse, nor to a woman in confinement, but says it is not well to risk pollution. He orders his domestics to mull the wine on the fourth and seventh of the month, while he goes out and buys myrtle, incense, and holy cakes. On his return, he spends the livelong day in crowning the images of Hermaphroditus. When he has had a vision, he goes to the soothsayer, the seer, or the augur, to ask to what god or goddess he must pray. He goes to the Orphic mysteries to be initiated into them. You will be sure to find him amongst the people who frequent the beach to besprinkle themselves. Every month he goes there with his wife, or, if his wife is busy, then with the nurse and children. If he observes anyone at the crossroads ground with garlic, on his return he washes himself from head to foot, summons a priestess, and gives orders to celebrate rites of purification, either with an onion or a small dog. Whenever he sees a madman or an epileptic, he shakes with terror and spits in his bosom. 12. The Thankless Man Thanklessness is an improper criticism of what one receives. The thankless man, when a friend has sent him something from his table, says to the servant who brings it, He grudged me a dish of soup and a cup of wine, I suppose, and so wouldn't invite me to dinner. When his sweetheart kisses him, he says, I wonder if you really do love me so in your heart. He blames Zeus not for raining, but for not raining before. When he picks up a purse in the street, he says, But I never found a treasure. If he secures a slave at a bargain after long dickering with the owner, he says, I imagine I haven't got much at this price. To the person who brings the glad tidings that a son is born to him, he retorts, If you only add and half your fortune's gone, you'll hit it. When he wins his case in court and secures a unanimous verdict, he abuses his attorney for having omitted many points in his brief. 
when his friends make him up a purse and wish him joy why so he exclaims is it because i shall have to pay you all back and be grateful into the bargain as though you had done me a favour thirteen the suspicious man suspicion is a kind of belief that everybody is fraudulent the suspicious man is the sort of person who sends a servant to market and then sends another to watch him and find out the price he pays when he carries the money himself he sits down every hundred yards and counts it over after he is in bed he asks his wife whether she locked the chest and shut the cupboard and whether the hall door bolt was pushed well in if she answers yes he gets up nevertheless and lights a lamp naked and barefoot he goes around and examines everything even then he finds it hard to go to sleep when he goes to collect interest he takes witnesses along lest his debtors deny the claims he has his cloak dyed not by the best workman but by the fuller who can furnish good security if any one asks the loan of a wine set he prefers not to lend it but if a member of his family or a near relative wants it he makes the loan yet he scarcely does so until he has had it assayed and weighed and has received a guarantee for its safe return he orders his footman not to fall behind him but to go in front so that by watching him he may prevent his running away if a purchaser has bought goods of him and says charge the amount to me i have no time now to send the money he replies do not trouble yourself about it when you have finished your business i will go with you and get my pay fourteen the disagreeable man disagreeableness we may define as a kind of conduct which is annoying although it may not be injurious the disagreeable man will go to a friend and wake him out of a sound sleep to have a talk with him he detains passengers who are on the point of embarking others who have come to see him he bids wait until he has taken his walk he takes the baby from its nurse chews its food for it and feeds it dandles it on his knee while he coos to it and calls it papa's little rascal at table he tells the company how he once took hellebore and was physicked through and through and how his bile was blacker than the soup on the table and he asks before the family i say mammy what a day was it when you were confined and i was born he says he has cool cistern water at his home and a garden full of tender vegetables that his cook is a perfect chef and that his house is a regular hotel for it is always full of company and his guests are like leaky sieves do the best he can it is impossible to fill them when he gives a dinner he exhibits his jester and shows him off before the company to enliven his guests over their cups he says that further pleasures have been arranged for them fifteen the exquisite exquisiteness is a striving for honour in small things the exquisite when invited to dinner is eager to sit by his host when he cuts off his son's hair for an offering to the gods no place but delphi will answer for the ceremony his attendant must be an ethiopian when he pays a mina of money he makes a point of offering a freshly minted piece if he has a pet daw in the house he must needs buy it a ladder and a brazen shield that the daw may learn to climb the ladder carrying the shield 
when he has sacrificed an ox he winds the head and horns with fillets and nails them up opposite the entrance in order that those who come in may see what he has been doing when he parades with the cavalry he gives all his accoutrement to his squire to carry home and throwing back his mantle stalks proudly about the market-place in his spurs when his pet dog dies he raises a monument to the creature and has a pillar erected with the inscription fido pure maltese in the Asclepion, he dedicates a brazen finger, polishes it, crowns it with flowers, and anoints it every day with oil. And he has his hair cut frequently, his teeth are always pearly white. While his old suit is still good, he gets himself a new one, and he anoints himself with the choicest perfumes. In the Agora, he frequents the banker's counters. If he visits the gymnasia, he selects those in which the Ephebe practice, and when there's a play, the place he chooses in the theatre is close beside the generals. He makes few purchases for himself, but sends presents to his friends at Byzantium, and Spartan dogs to Sisychus, and Hymetian honey to Rhodes, and when he does these things, he tells it about the town naturally his taste runs to pet monkeys parrots sicilian doves gazelles knuckle-bones thurian jars crooked canes from sparta hangings inwrought with persian figures a wrestling ring sprinkled with sand and a tennis court he goes around and offers this arena to philosophers sophists fighters and musicians for their exhibitions and at the performances he himself comes in last of all that the spectators may say to one another that's the gentleman to whom the place belongs and of course when he is prytanus he demands of his colleagues the privilege of announcing to the people the result of the sacrifice then, putting on a fine garment and a garland of flowers, he advances and says, O oh, men of Athens, we Pritanes have made sacrifice to the mother of the gods. The sacrifice is fair and good. Receive ye each your portion. When he has made this announcement, he returns home and tells his wife all about it in an ecstasy of joy. 16. The Garrulous Man Garrulity is incessant, heedless talk. Your garrulous man is one, for instance, who sits down beside a stranger, and after recounting the virtues of his wife, tells the dream he had last night, and everything he ate for supper. Then, if his efforts seem to meet with favor, he goes on to declare that the present age is sadly degenerate, says wheat is selling very low, that hosts of strangers are in town, and that since the Dionysia the weather is good again for shipping, and that if Zeus would only send more rain, the crops would be much heavier, and that he's proposing to have a farm himself next year, and that life's a constant struggle, and that at the mysteries Demippus set up an enormous torch, and tells how many columns the Odeon has, and yesterday, says he, I had an awful turn with my stomach, and what days today, and in Bedromian come the mysteries, and in Panopsium the Apaturia, and in Poseidon the country Dionysia, and so on, for unless you refuse to listen, he never stops. 17. The Boar 
we may define a bore as a man who cannot refrain from talking a bore is the sort of fellow who the moment you open your mouth tells you that your remarks are idle that he knows all about it and if you'll only listen you'll soon find it out as you attempt to make answer he suddenly breaks in with such interruptions as uh, don't forget what you were about to say that reminds me what an admirable thing talk is but as i omitted to mention you grasp the idea at once i was watching this long time to see whether you would come to the same conclusion as myself in phrases like this he's so fertile that the person who happens to meet him cannot even open his mouth to speak when he has vanquished a few stray victims here and there his next move is to advance upon whole companies and put them to flight in the midst of their occupations he goes into the wrestling ground or into the schools and prevents the boys from making progress with their lessons so incessant is his talk with the teachers and the wrestling masters if you say you are going home he's pretty sure to come along and escort you to your house whenever he learns the day set for the session of the assembly he noises it diligently abroad and recalls demosthenes famous bout with asinus in the archonship of aristophon he mentions too his own humble effort on a certain occasion and the approval which it won among the people as he rattles on he launches invectives against the masses in such fashion that his audience either becomes oblivious or begins to doze or else melts away in the midst of his harangue when he's on a jury he's an obstacle to reaching a verdict when he's in the theatre he prevents attention to the play at a feast he hinders eating remarking that silence is too much of an effort that his tongue is hung in the middle and that he couldn't keep still even though he should seem a worse chatterer than a magpie and when he's made a butt by his own children he submits when in their desire to go to sleep they say papa tell us something in order that sleep may come eighteen the rough roughness is coarse conduct whether in word or act the rough takes an oath lightly and is insensible to insult and ready to give it in character he is a sort of town bully obscene in manner ready for anything and everything he is willing, sober, and without a mask, to dance the vulgar cordax in comic chorus. At a show he goes around from man to man and collects the pennies, quarreling with the spectators who present a pass and therefore insist on seeing the performance free. He is the sort of man to keep a hostelry or brothel or to farm the taxes. There is no business he considers beneath him, but he is ready to follow the trade of crier, cook, or gambler. He does not support his mother, is caught at theft, and spends more time in jail than in his home. He is the type of man who collects a crowd of bystanders and harangues them in a loud, brawling voice. While he is talking, some are going and others coming, without listening to him to one part of the moving crowd he tells the beginning of his story to another part a sketch of it and to another part a mere fragment he regards a holiday as the fittest time for the full exhibition of his roughness he is a great figure in the courts as a plaintiff or defendant sometimes he excuses himself on oath from the trial but later he appears with a bundle of papers in the breast of his cloak and a file of documents in his hands 
he enjoys the role of generalissimo in a band of rowdy loafers he lends his followers money and on every shilling collects a penny interest per day he visits the bake shops the markets for fresh and pickled fish collects his tribute from them and stuffs it in his cheek nineteen the affable man affability is a sort of demeanor that gives pleasure at the sacrifice of what is best the affable man is the kind of person who hails a friend at a distance and after he has told him what a fine fellow he is and has lavished brimming admiration on him seizes both his hands and is unwilling to let him go he escorts the friend a step on his way and as he asks when shall we meet again tears himself away with praises still falling from his lips when summoned to court he wishes to please not merely the man in whose interest he appears but his adversary too that he may seem to be non-partisan and of strangers he says that they pronounce juster judgment than his townsmen if he is invited out to dinner he asks his host to call in the children and when they come he declares they are as like their father as one fig is like another and he draws them toward him kisses them and sets them by his side sometimes he joins in their sports shouting strike and foul and sometimes he lets them go to sleep in his lap in spite of the burden twenty the impudent man impudence is easy to define it is conduct that is obtrusively offensive the impudent man is one who on meeting respectable women in the street insults them as he passes at a play he claps his hand after all the rest have stopped and hisses the players when others wish to watch in silence when the theatre is still he suddenly stands up and disgorges to make the audience look around when the marketplace is crowded he steps up to the stalls where nuts myrtleberries or fruits are for sale and begins to pick at them as he talks to the merchant he calls by name people whom he doesn't know and stops those intent upon some errand when a man has just lost an important case and is now leaving the court he runs up and tenders his congratulations he buys his own provisions too and hires his own musicians showing his purchases to every man he meets and inviting him to come and share the feast again he takes his stand before a barber's booth or a perfumer's stall and proclaims unblushingly his intention of getting drunk End of part two.